I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today. Joining me today is a Delaware retired judge, member of the Delaware State Bar Association, but now an author, Aida Wasserstein. Welcome, Aida. Hi, it's nice to see you. I'm so glad that uh, we're able to chat today about a recent book of yours, Amelia Finds Her Voice, A Child Custody Tale. I'm fascinated with your blending your law career in with your writing career. And uh, that's really the, the avenue I would like to pursue today. Let's go back to your law career first. Uh, being a family court judge, I presume there was a keen interest in applying your expertise in law to uh, support youth. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about your background there. Okay, I, I started out as a legal services lawyer in Delaware, and I represented the Hispanic children in the desegregation case in Newcastle County at the remedy stage um, so that the bilingual program that we had negotiated with the school district and started could continue after during the desegregation process. And I did a variety of other cases. And then eventually when I had my first child, I went into private practice with one other lawyer and we concentrated on family law. And I did that uh, from 1979 or so to about 1995. And um, in 1995, I became a family court judge. And I did that for 21 years. And I retired in January of 2017. Yeah, I'm curious, over that career, what kinds of shifts have you seen in the challenges that families face and youth face? particularly as it comes to uh, the kinds of cases you were having to uh, arbitrate? I, I don't know whether there are shifts as much. I, I think a lot of the problems are the same. Sometimes some things uh, kind of take a lower level in terms of the caseload and others uh, come up and then they come back and rebalance. And one interesting thing about family law is that um, people who had been uh, there for years, like for instance, as bailiffs, would recognize the children of some of the litigants that they saw when they were juveniles or were they young people. So, um, and De Fa the Delaware Family Court in, is unusual. A lot of other states don't have this system, but we have a system where if you want to be a family court judge, you apply to that court and it's a unified court. And basically, the rule has been one judge, one family. That's not strictly across the board because uh, there are commissioners who also handle parts of the cases. But in other states, like, and this was a long time ago, I don't know what it's like now in Philadelphia, but when I was in law school, if you had a family law case, or even after I was in law school, a few years later, you would go to three co different courts for different parts of your case, and you didn't have the same judge. So uh, we kind of had... Um, the same kinds of cases, there might be a new kind of petition or a new kind of application of the law because a statute was passed or some initiative was started. But the problems have been amazingly similar. And, um, you know, they have to do with dividing property, awarding alimony, mm -hmm. awarding child support, doing protection from abuse orders if there is a domestic violence component, custody, visitation. Um, another thing that Delaware was uh, 
really very proactive on early on, there were two things. One was that it, it very early on had a mediation in the family court. And I don't know mm -hmm. that other courts across the country had that as early as we did. And um, there's something called the Malson formula, which is the way you figure out what the child support should be. And that was kind of based on uh, something that a Delaware judge did, Judge Malson. And he basically, as I understand it, that was before my time, but he went and figured out what it would cost if you had a room at the Y and what it would cost if you went to the Acme to buy food and so forth to figure out the allowance for the parent and figure out a way of awarding support. And I was on the board of the National Women's Law Center for 17 years before I became a judge. And I can tell you from being on that board that that kind of approach became a model for how child support is used nationally. Uh, I, I was going to say, it sounds like you had the opportunity to, or in Delaware, you have the opportunity to almost develop a relationship with the families, maybe is the wrong way to put it, or is that fairly accurate? No, that's fairly accurate. I mean, I, I could handle, you know, a $5 million property division. Uh, and I would also handle the juvenile case uh, that might arise out of the custody dispute. And and you see the people in different ways because you're dealing with different issues, mm -hmm. but they're the same people. So you learn the family dynamic and they learn, you know, how to relate to you. And sometimes they don't like it because they wish they had a different judge. Mm -hmm. so that's not good from the litigants perspective necessarily. But I do think that it, it does give the decider of fact, the ability to know what is driving it because sometimes a child support matter may be driving the custody dispute because people might want to uh, have more time with the child because under the formula, it would result in a different amount of support. Mm -hmm. um, so it, having an understanding of the people and what motivates them and how they relate to each other and how they interact with you is really helpful. And the other thing is when you're doing family law, which I don't think is necessarily true when you do other kinds of cases like a contract between strangers who are not going to see each other again, you have to evaluate if there's a danger factor. You know, sometimes people get very angry at each other when they're not doing well as a family. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to evaluate, you know, is this person mean it? Is this person someone who's dangerous to themselves or to other members of the family? Mm -hmm. Or is this something that where they're blowing off steam and sort of having that continuity with the family helps. Plus, it's really, I think, helpful for the children because the children, you kind of get to see how the parents act in the courtroom. You might interview the child. You know, the child might come up in some other way because they're having a problem and that might come in in some other way into your court. So the right hand has more of the ability to know what the left hand is doing. I was going to say, and I, I would imagine then... Uh emotions become much more intense uh, and integral to the deliberation in these kinds of matters, I would think, than some other kinds of cases. I think so. I mean, yeah, I haven't done every other kind of case, but I think right. so. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, th that's fascinating. I mean, certainly a, a challenging uh, but necessary uh, career. I'm curious, uh, given that background, when did you start writing and what was the inspiration to take these kinds of experiences uh, into the literary realm? Well, first of all, writing from a legal point of view is very different from writing right. 
a book that you hope the reader would be interested in and want to turn to the next page and find out what's going on. And much less for children, because you have to, that's a different kind of writing too. I right, think. sure. And um, I, people always told me that they thought I should write a book. I, I came here from Cuba when I was 13 years old as an unaccompanied minor between the Bay of Pigs and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, neither did of my you come friends. to Delaware? Don't mean to interrupt, but did you no, come to Delaware? No, I, I first was in Miami for two weeks, and then I went to Philadelphia area. Okay, okay. Yes, yeah. did came you have to family Delaware. there? No, I was in three different foster homes. Oh, okay. Uh, when I okay. came to the United States, because my family wasn't able to get out of Cuba until later. Right. Okay. I came through something called Pedro Pan, uh, <clears throat> which is the Spanish for Peter Pan, and it was a program that got that name later. Uh, I think it was a New York Times article that called it that, but there were over 14,475, I think, children who came from Cuba during that 18 month period or so. Fascinating. Uh, by themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it had to do with the change in the government and what was happening with the United States and, and Cuba. And um, so people would always, so I started writing an adult book actually. And then I stopped writing the adult book and um, I had my first grandchild and decided, well, why don't I write a ch- children's story so that my grandchild will know what her legacy is. So I did write a book called My Name is Aida, which is also available in Spanish and English under Me Llamo Aidita because in Cuba they called me Aidita. And when I came here and I would tell people my name was Aida, they would say, no, 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 it's not. And they would say, how do you spell it? And I would spell it and they would say Aida. So it became much easier to just say, my name is Aida. So there was a change in identity actually uh, that's reflected in in the two versions of the book too. Interesting. And so I started writing the book when I was still a judge, but I didn't really do a lot with it. Um, And then when I retired, I decided that one of the things I liked about the job was writing. So I found a different way of, but I had to teach myself how to write in a different mode. Mm-hmm. Because um, if I wrote it like a lawyer would write it, nobody would want to read it, I don't think. Maybe lawyers right. would, but other than that. And the way Amelia came about is that I have never handled a capital case. Family court doesn't do capital cases. Mm-hmm. But short of that, I think that having a a nasty custody dispute in family court may be one of the worst cases you can have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I always felt very frustrated because I felt like some of the children were really trapped because when you're older, you can leave your parents home, you can go to college or get a job and you can then see them under different terms and maybe have a relationship with them or not have a relationship with them. But when you're a child, you're dependent on them for everything, for clothing, food, shelter. And if they're having a fight of their own and they can't see the forest for the trees, they there's a tendency to get you involved and have each parent want you to be on their side. Mm-hmm. And we all know that children are very loyal to parents. So that's very difficult. I mean, you should be able to love both your mom and your dad, even if your parents don't want to be together anymore. Uh, sure. but, but parents put that kind of pressure. So that's what Amelia finds her voice is about. Well, I'm, I'm eager to pursue this more, but let me first remind our listeners that you are tuned into Delaware State of the Arts here on News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV. 
We are talking to Delaware author and retired family court judge, Aida Wasserton. Wasserstein, sorry, Aida. Uh, your, your book, Amelia Finds Her Voice. Um, let's, uh, let's look, uh, delve a little more deeply into uh, what specifically inspired that? Were there, were there particular cases that came to mind as you wrote this, or is it sort of a compilation of the experiences you encountered? Well, I went out of my way to not have it be any particular case. In fact, right. I I was very careful that um, if you were in my courtroom and then I happened to see you in the street, um, I did not respond as if I knew you. And I would mm -hmm. explain that to people sometimes that, you know, mm -hmm. it wasn't that I would be rude, but that because for me, the best way to keep confidentiality was sure. to, to just keep everything separate. So one time I went to... Um, a doctor's appointment and the physician's assistant at the end of taking care of whatever my issue was said, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, no. And she had been one of the litigants and she said, you know, you really, really helped me a lot. And I said, well, mm -hmm. I'm glad, but you know, I, and I explained to her that, you know, I just put it aside and I forget what you look like, what your name is, because I don't want to err in the direction of letting on that you were in front of me in family court. Yeah, I, I've often said one of the great things about Delaware is everybody knows everybody. And one of the challenges in Delaware is that everybody knows everybody. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And, some, and, you know, family court things are very sensitive. Yeah, so sure. The book, there is not one case that in any way resembles the case in the book. Mm -hmm. I just created it out of whole cloth, but I had seen enough of these cases that I knew what the kinds of issues were. I mean, I knew a lot of times the kids think that they, it's their fault the parents got divorced, mm -hmm, sure. something wrong. I knew that there were always problems with what the visitation schedule should be and how the parents cooperate with each other. And all those things are reflected in the book. And, and the way I did the book is um, the paternal grandmother had given her a pocketbook and a barrette with an owl on it. So the owl is the alter ego of the child and it's her imaginary friend. So the owl is the entity telling the story. Mm. And, um, and, you know, you see one um, illustration where she's waiting with her mom in a long line in family court. And there's a description about, you know, they had to wait out in the hot sun before the court opened, and then you had to be in line. And then they went and sat down with the intake worker. And the owl is responding to what things the owl is hearing and how she, the owl thinks that the little girl is upset because mom said, well, if you have any questions, ask me when we go for ice cream. And the child didn't ask anything. And, she, and you could tell from the illustration the child was upset. Mm -hmm. And then the family goes to family therapist at the suggestion of the intake worker and the therapist asks to see the child by herself so the therapist says things like you know even though you live in different houses each of your parents in a different home and you go one week to one parent and another week to the other they both still love you and you're still a family uh, and basically what the book tries to do is encourage the family to work out their differences with the help of some kind of dispute resolution that doesn't involve the judge deciding it mm -hmm. because that gives them more of a sense of ownership of what the plan is going to be. Right. Um, right. So that's basically what the book is about. And then what I've done or always on the books I've done is I have questions at the end or discussion topics. And a couple of the questions in this book go to the question of, 
if you have friends whose parents are going through divorce and sometimes you want to play with your friend, but you can't because it, your friend is in the other parent's house or the fr friend is cranky, do you understand it has nothing to do with anything you did? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so it's an attempt to have other kids who are not going through this themselves be able to understand children because the divorce rate is very high. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's very possible that you'll you have children who encounter this, even though their own families are intact. Mm -hmm. And a main thing I did with the book was that um, I did a, uh, a Zoom meeting with one of the libraries and one of the people involved in the meeting talked about how when she first read the book, she thought, oh, this is a happy ending story. So what? Because she knew of a family that had gone through a divorce. Mm -hmm. And um, then she said, when she read, I have a section at the end about why I wrote the book. And I, when she read that, I, and I had said that I was hoping that in reading the book to the children, the parents would absorb some of the message and it would in, affect how they interact with each other in relation to the child. Mm -hmm. So, and I, it's fun for me to do it. I mean, I think, it, and, and I've done sessions not with this book, with the other two books, I've done them in person, but this mm -hmm. book was published October of last year and we were in the middle of the pandemic. So I couldn't go to schools and meet with a classroom. Right. Uh, but I've been doing some sessions uh, and it's really interesting um, just to sort of see how the kids react to it. Now, I understand you had a Zoom session with uh, some judges. Is that correct? And not not just with judges. There's there's something called the Delaware State Bar Association Family Law Section. Okay, and what did, they, what did that entail? Yeah. Well, they have two conferences a year, and it's okay. it's training, it's continuing legal mm -hmm. education, and they have one on December 11th this year. And I had a very short part of the session because it was an all day Zoom or a three quarter day Zoom, and basically I showed them some of the illustrations in the book and what I was trying to accomplish with it and what the story was about. And um, basically one of the lawyers told me who was, I think fairly high up in that firm that um, at a later time, not during the session, that she had gone ahead and gotten the book for everybody who was in their family law practice, which would have meant the paralegals and so forth. And I, you know, I, I did tell another lawyer when I was in the process of writing it, this lawyer had asked me what was I doing with myself when I was retired. And I basically said, I wish I had had this book when I was practicing family law mm -hmm. or when I was a judge, because the last thing you want is a heavier caseload in the family court, because um, we don't have another system for handling it other than alternative dispute resolution, which mm -hmm. I also discuss in the book and in the questions at the end. But um you know, the system of presenting a case in court is that one side asks questions and the other side asks questions and they're attacking each other. But these are people that if they have children, they're going to have to live with each other for several years. Right. Forever. Right. So I always try to have them come out of the courtroom stronger as a family rather than and I, I didn't see the cases one person wins and one loses mm -hmm. it was more you know how does the whole family coalesce as a unit in a different structure mm -hmm. um, so and right. I, I don't know if we're running out of time but I do want to say that the Delaware Division of the Arts has been extremely supportive and I'm very appreciative of it 
because particularly for someone like me who didn't really publish the first book until I was like 70, 71 years old, it wasn't something, you know, that I was studying when I was going to school and that I was developing over a lifetime. So having the encouragement and the support from the uh, Delaware Division of the Arts has been really meaningful to me. Well, I think, thank you. I think the work that you're doing is extremely important. Before I forget, uh, where can our listeners obtain your book? They can get it at Amazon and they can get it um, at um, Browse About Books in Rehoboth. When the pandemic gets a little bit more toned down, I'm going to uh, talk to the Hokesan Bookshelf because they carried both of my first book and then the pandemic hit. So I haven't really been going into bookstores. Um, the Delaware Art Museum has my first book. So once the pandemic is kind of receding, I might go to them and see if they want to look at this one. Um, but Amazon is right now with the pandemic is the easiest way to get it, unless you happen to be in Rehoboth and happen to be going into browse about it for other reasons. It's there, it's in the local author section. And the two titles are? Uh, the first one is My Name is Aida, or Me Llamo Aidita, which is the same thing in Spanish with a diminutive. And the, this one is Amelia Finds Her Voice. And in the 30 seconds we have left, tell us about your next project. <laughs> well, I have two books in the works. One is about refugee children, one from Afghanistan, Congo, Pakistan, and the foods from their backgrounds. And they have a teacher whose grandparents uh, survived the Holocaust because they left Europe. And there is a connection there. Buddy, and it's about a child who's been in foster care and has gone through about four foster homes before he finds the right one. Um, and I have had a lot of fun. That book also talks about some of the stuff that happens in the courtroom. It talks about interpreters in the courtroom. And it talks about meeting with the judge if you're having a case of that kind, a dependency neglect case. Well, Aida Wasserstein, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been exciting to hear about the great work that you're doing. Uh, I look forward to uh, getting those two books and giving them a read. Thank you. And you have a good end of the day. Thank you.